Thanks for tuning in on our Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. Wherever you're tuning in from, we pray you're encouraged by the message. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, better a handful with quietness than both hands full, together with toil and grasping for the wind. Now, that's in the New King James Version. Let me read it to you today in the New American Standard Version 95, because now we have years on that one too. It says one handful. Look at your neighbor real quick and just say one. Just tell them one. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. Two hands toiling, going, tired, instead of one hand of rest. If you're taking notes this morning, I'd like to speak to you today from the subject of one is all you need. One. Everyone say one. It's all you need. Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Nate and worship team, guys, thank you so much for leading us into worship. Can we just give them a hand clap this morning? So thankful for it. Thanksgiving weekend, probably full of everything. Got here early to practice and get ready. And we're just thankful for that type of commitment. For man, we got a great team. Not only who was up on this stage, but just in general. Man, we are a blessed church and um, just really excited about it. So every single week, I like to say right from the bat, what are we talking about? So today, to get our hearts kind of in that place, to get our minds in that place, today what we're really talking about is we're talking about contentment. Now, if I get a little bit more specific on that, what we're really talking about is we're talking about a life that is simple. Does that sound good to anybody else in here? If you're watching online, you can just put like an emoji or something like that. But a life that is simple. If we're all honest, man, life is complicated. You ever notice that? It doesn't matter what you've done, how hard you've worked, what you set in place. Life has a way of just showing up and changing things and complicating things, and over-exhausting things. Am I talking to the right crowd here this morning? How many of you guys would say with a raised hand that life gets really complicated and really overwhelming, whether you like it or not? Yeah, absolutely. Man, we, we all know that. I like, I like asking questions too that I know everyone's gonna raise their hands on, uh, but I do it for some of us who don't wanna raise our hands and we don't wanna admit it. That's kinda like the first step. Like if you're gonna deal with something, you gotta admit it's a real thing. Life gets complicated and we know it, right? Listen, we just got done with Thanksgiving. Think about this for a moment, okay? Isn't it always fascinating to you how stressed out people get on some of the greatest events every single year? Have you noticed that? Getting the Thanksgiving meal around. Getting the perfect setting around. Getting the family to agree on the same day and the same time. Right? It's amazing. It's amazing how at the Thanksgiving time, by the time the meal is made, we've gathered everybody together, everybody sits down, and it's like, would you forgive me for everything I just said? Would you forgive me for the tone in my voice and the look on my face? I promise I'm really happy, right? It's a crazy thing. I mean, we want to have the perfect setting, the perfect meal. When Christmas comes, we want the perfect gifts. (laughs) We want our kids to display perfect behavior. 
when their senses are so high because they see boxes with wrapping and they just want to see what's on the inside of it. But we're saying, no, no, no. We're going to sit down on Christmas morning. We're going to slow down. We're going to sing a song. We're going to read the Christmas story. And your kids are looking at you like, can we do it after, please? But you put together what would have been the perfect moment. You're hoping everybody shows up on time and you know they're not. Has anybody ever just said, I'm not showing up on time no matter what? Anybody? Yeah. I tried that and I still show up on time and it's amazing. I know no one else is going to be on time, but I'm going to be on time and it's going to be okay. And then they're not on time and I'm now frustrated. I'm like, I've got here on time. Where? (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy to me. Think about the family drama before you get to the table. Before you get to Christmas Day. Man, some of you are smiling so big right now. I don't know what conversation you have going on in your head. But it's like, or what memory you're remembering. But here's the, here's the crazy part, right? We all know it. It just doesn't always work out. And the list can go on and on. I start to think about this time and I start to think about Jesus coming to this world and the amazing gift that Jesus was and what people had gone through up until that point before it was even spoken about. If you've been with us for any length of time, especially during the Christmas season, we we talk often about the 400 years where God went silent. He was not speaking to the prophets. The prophets were not speaking to the people. Think of 400 Christmas days going by where there was nothing from God things were probably kind of calmed down. In looking at our opening passage of Scripture, it gives us this visual that I think is worth noting. It says, again, in Ecclesiastes 4, 6, one handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. Have you ever heard this statement before? If one is good, two is better. You ever heard that before? If one dollar is good, two's much better. If, if one flat screen, gentlemen, is good, two is better. And the second one's got to be bigger than the first one because slowly it's going to move its way back to the living room where the smaller one will then go to the other room. If one car is good, two is better. If one house is good, two is better. We're always wanting more, right? If one wife is good, two... No, I'm just joking. Just joking. Just joking. That's a total. That's a total setup. Matter of fact, I, I heard about this guy who was asking seminary. He said, "Professor, why did Solomon have so many wives?" And the professor answered, "Well, he thought when he would come home, one of them would be in a good mood." <laughs> hey, I didn't say that. I'm saying this professor did. I don't know if he's still teaching to this day, but what men, men, more is always good. Until you find out that one, and then two, and then three, causes more of a headache. It's amazing how those who want more eventually get it, and what they had to do to get it has now made their life so much more complicated. So much more work. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, you will see that when the serpent lied to Adam and Eve, in, in, in so many ways, what he was saying is, is whatever you have or whatever you don't have is actually what you need to be happy. Now, think about this. 
God had given them everything they needed. He had put them in the center of absolute beauty. I mean, God literally gave them their own personal paradise. Think of how good Adam and Eve had it before they believed the lie. Think about it for a moment. Because it helps us understand how the enemy can do things. It's almost like he said, what you don't have, that's what you need. And if you have it, you'll be really happy. I'm going to make a statement all throughout this message, so much so that you might have it memorized by the time you leave this place. Again, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Let me give you a first question. Why is it better to have one handful? If what the words are being said, that it's better, then we have to define why is it better. Now, there's a lot of ways we could answer that, but I want to answer it this way. I think it's better to have one hand because then my life has a word called margin. Go with me. If I have one handful of life, which are the most important things in my life, and we'll get to this in a moment, if my life is all about who I am with God, which is the very most utmost important thing in my life, and then for me, this is my life, in my marriage, in my children, and that is the order, my marriage first, then my children. I joke with my boys all the time, she was here before you, okay? So date night's a priority. Her needs are a priority. Sometimes my boys give me that, that look like, do you know how crazy I can make your life if you live that out, Dad? But they know. Mama always comes before the boys. So God, my, my wife, my, my children, and then I've got my calling or my purpose, right? Because that's where I use the gifts that God has given me. That's where you use the gifts that God's given you. And here's the crazy part. That also then serves God because everything I do is unto the Lord, Colossians 3, 23 through 24 and 25. It helps serve my wife because she knows she can trust me to provide. It shows my kids. Do you see how sometimes our purpose is more than just about what we do, but it works its way right back up? So those are the most important things. And then from there, it's you. Now, you guys are kind of tied to my purpose, but more so we're friends. It ties to relationships in my life. Now, from that point, that's where it starts to get crazy. Because those five things right there, I think we could all agree, that is a lot to take care of. So everything I do from that point on has really got to be prayed through. It's optional, and I need to seek it with the Lord. I know that might seem a little bit, but you guys know me. That's how I'm wired. I'm systematic. So those are the most important things. Now, when I got all those things here and their priority, this is free. Which means now because I have margin and I have determined what matters most, I now have a hand to reach out to help others. See, the problem is, is so many times in our hustling and trying to get everything that we want, we're living our life with both of our hands full. And when someone needs a helping hand, we're so focused on what we've got to do to keep these things right here that we can't help other people. So, so Solomon is saying here, it's better to have one handful instead of, oh, chasing. Chasing after what? More. Got to have more. Got to chase after this. Got to go here. Got to do that. Got to do this. And then what happens if we're not careful is life becomes about us. 
about me. I'm supposed to reflect Jesus. You are to reflect Jesus. You can't reflect Jesus in the way that Jesus needs to be reflected if you're all about you. So it goes back to this one thing. That's what this verse is saying. Better is one handful with margin, tranquility. How about this word? Peace. Everybody wants peace. The ability to help others than two handfuls of stress, of tension, of anxiety, and of wondering. Jesus taught this very thing. If you go to Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says these words. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of, of greed. Now, greed's a very harsh word, would we agree? But he says all kinds. So there's like, I don't know how to word this, but there's like light versions of greed. Then there's really bad, heavy greed. And then there's just greed. He says all kinds of greed. That begins to invoke a lot of different things. He says, look, beware of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So Jesus starts to have this dialogue, and he says, the quality of your life is not based on how much you have, on what you acquire. Be on your guard, because you're going to be tempted to want more, but this is not what life is about. Jesus is setting a precedence. See, I'm convinced that God isn't concerned so much about what you have as long as what you have does not have you. You've heard us say that. God's, God's okay with you having stuff. Don't let stuff have you, though. When, when, when going and acquiring after more and more and more so you could obtain, and it becomes the driving force to your life, instead of the kingdom of God in simplicity, the kingdom of God matters more than anything you'll get in this life. And we'll get to that. You got real quiet right there. Hopefully I'm making sense. The kingdom of God, the things of God, the work of God, it matters so much more. So Jesus says, hey, look, you're going to be tempted to say, I want more. Don't let it have you. He goes on and he tells this parable. Let's look at this together. Luke 12, 16. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, that could be dangerous sometimes, how many of you would agree? He thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, oh, now he's speaking to his soul now. So he went from thinking to himself to speaking to his own soul. That is dangerous. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now look at verse 20. But God said, <laughs> God's like, I'm going to insert myself right here. You're speaking to yourself, and now you're speaking to your soul. Let me kind of help you. But God said to him, fool. Woo! hey yo. This night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will this, those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here's what that scripture is saying. 
It's saying when all you are consumed about is gathering for yourself, that those things that you've gathered when you die mean absolutely nothing. People spend their lives acquiring for more. And when they pass, it'll just go to somebody else. But he says, really our lives are to acquire for the kingdom. So this guy from whom business was going well said, I'm going to tear down the old barns and build bigger. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. But he had no thought of God or the most important things in life. And so Jesus is saying in this parable, it would be better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. So this brings me to my next question. Have you taken the time in your life to define what matters most? Could you answer that today? It's a pretty eye-opening question. Have you determined what matters most in your life? Because when you can determine what matters most in your life, it will then dictate how you live your life and what you say yes and what you say no to. What matters most to you? You need to define that. It needs to be concrete. You know, I've spent some time with people that have lived a lot of life and have gotten close to moving on to eternity. I know many of you in this place, you have too. And when you spend time with those that are towards the end of their life, they could answer this question, what matters most? Nobody has ever said at the end of their life, what matters most to me was my car or my, my house or my, my bank account or my career. Those things serve a purpose, but it wasn't most important to them. At the end, what mattered most to them were their friends, were their family, and were the things of God. Notice those things are all eternal. Living for what matters most. As we go into the Christmas season, can I just encourage you, don't spend everything you have. <laughs> Someone just said amen in their, in their head. They didn't say it out loud. <laughs> don't rack it all up on cards. Don't, don't schedule more busyness in your life than you should. Don't chase after stuff that just doesn't satisfy don't, don't believe the lie that is what you don't have is what will make you happy if you get it. Decide this Christmas season. Matter of fact, go beyond the Christmas season. Decide in your life to create some margin for what matters most. Now, that was a very long introduction. I know that because my thing says 21 minutes, 13 seconds. But I had to set it up to this point. One hand is better than two hands full. So what do I need to know? If you've been with us for any length of time, you know that I always answer two questions. What do I need to know? What do I need to do? 
Here's why. What do I need to know? The Bible says in Proverbs to gain wisdom above all else, gain understanding. So wisdom and understanding are important. So we got to know something today. But then when you leave, you've actually got something to do. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not a sport at all, matter of fact. You're involved. So what do we need to know? I'd love for you to write this down. We need to know this. Our lives need margin. They need margin. Another word for that could be balance, if that word works for you. Another word could be rhythm. I try to live my life by, by rhythm. Now, the reason I live my life by rhythm, Pastor Frank could probably attest to this, is because there are things that happen in my life that I cannot see coming at all. So balance is really hard. Like we try to balance our career, um, our, our family, our spouse, our finances, and all this stuff. And what happens is, is one thing comes in and it kind of disrupts the whole thing. I live my life in rhythm. In other words, I know high rhythm moments in my year, and I know low rhythm moments in my year. I know that as a pastor, when Christmas or Easter or the summer comes, there's a lot to get done. There's a lot to do. It's a great time for harvest. I also know moments where I could lay low just enough to get some rest, to recharge, to replenish, to begin to push hard. I live my life in rhythm. What I'm saying to you is you need to know that your life needs margin. You need to know that saying the word no, uh uh-oh, no, say it with me, say no. No. You guys, come on, say it one more time, say no. No. Some said really with a lot of authority right there. But isn't it amazing how much we don't say that word and we say yes. Why? We don't want to let people down. We don't want to seem weak. We don't want to seem like we don't care. So what we do is we say yes in the moment, and then we live a frazzled life back here trying to figure out how we're going to handle all the different things going on. You want to know why we do that? Because we haven't set margin. We haven't set boundaries. We really haven't, we'll get to this, we really haven't determined what matters most to us. So we say yes to everything, and then we run around all the time. And we're always tired. We need to know that what this scripture is saying in Ecclesiastes, one handful, that's enough. Other handful, so I could help others. Now, what do we need to do? I've only got two things for you today. Two things you need to do. I think they're important. We should probably write them down or remember them. Number one, it's going to set a lot of you free. <laughs> Let go of what doesn't matter. Now, again, you're going to have to determine what matters most, right? Once you do that, then you've got to look at what you do, and you've got to say, okay, what can I let go? There's something I do about three or four times a year. Again, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that I do this, is I look at my list of what I've got to do in my life. I make my list, my my spouse, my family, my career, all that stuff. I make this list of all the things that I am responsible for doing Day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out. And I ask myself this question, what needs to stay? Now, how I define that, I promise I'm not doing like a little like self-help book right here, but here's how I do that. Not against those, I'm just saying, I'm gonna be very careful. I ask myself this question. On that list, what is the only thing I must do for myself? Nobody else 
can be the husband to Vanessa Shepherd. Only I could do that. Nobody else can be the father to my boys and my little girl except me. See what I'm getting at? There are things that only you can do that you cannot pass off to other people. You can't do that. It's on you. So I ask myself, okay, what is it that only I can do? And I circle those things, okay? Then I ask myself a second question. What is it that I could have somebody else help me do? And I start to go up that list. I also ask myself, what is it that just isn't working? That I don't need to do anymore. And I just cross it off. By the time I'm done answering those three questions, I know what I've got to do. I know what I can train someone else to do, which is a lot of fun, by the way. That's how you live life with people. And then I go, okay, don't need that no more. I look at that list and I ask myself, what doesn't matter? And then throughout the year, I check it all the time. In a more spiritual sense, look at Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, everyone say throw off, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Now notice, he says, things that hinder. Then he brings up sin. So some of us have things in our life. Sin will always stop our progress, right? It slows us down if we don't deal with it. But he also says, what's hindering you? You need to deal with that. You need to let that go. It probably doesn't matter as much as it should. So you've got to get the things that are slowing your process down that hinder you and you have to let them go. I was talking with a gentleman yesterday. He came over to my, uh, my home gym to work out. I used to train up in a Tascadero and he was one of the guys and then he moved to slow. And so we've been trying to get together to work out. Great guy. Works for MindBody. And we were having this discussion and he doesn't know it. He, I don't know if he's watching online. If he is, it's fine. He doesn't know it. But I think this is a great guy. And as long as I've known him a little over a year, I'm like, man, I want to see this guy come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So for how I feel I'm gifted, I just start living life with people. And for some reason, that means suffering in the gym. So we're working out yesterday. And I'm just at, we're just sitting down. We're both exhausted. And I'm starting to, ask, to just ask questions. Starting to get to learn him a little bit. And all of a sudden, we got on this topic of those that we surround ourselves with. And I said to him, I said, hey, I go, man, you, you work for MindBody. I said, you're, you're pretty high up in MindBody. I said, um, you read a lot of books? And he goes, yeah, man, I read a ton of books. I go, well, what would be your top two books? So he starts to name it. But then he says this. He literally says, you know, one of the biggest principles I've learned in being successful is I look at my five closest friends. And there's a quote out there. I think there's some truth to it. There's some power to it. But they say that you are who you are as a result of the five closest people that you keep around you. Now, I heard that and I started going back and thinking to myself as being a man of God. And I could say that I feel like I've become a better man of God by watching who I place around me. And you hear me say it all the time. I'll say my mentor said, or my youth pastor said, or my pastor said. That's because I'm in relationship with them. I, really, I believe this to be true. You will be this time next year by who you hang out with, 
and the books you read. Because who you hang out with, you talk like. Have you noticed that? You act like them. Sometimes you even do what they do. So I guess what I'm saying is, is he was saying that he had to make a very, very tough decision about someone that was in his inner circle. It was a friend that he had grew up with in school, through college and life. But he was very negative and he was very toxic. And he said it was one of the hardest things he ever did. He pulled his friend in. He said, look, I want to help you. I'm your friend. I want to be your friend. But man, he goes, you're a really negative guy and it's really hard to be around. And when you come into the room, the culture changes. Now I'm your friend and I love you and I want to help you. You know what his friend said? I want nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm just fine. And this guy said, I was, we're in the gym. He says, man, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But at the same time, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made for my future. See, sometimes when we start looking at the things that don't matter, I'm not saying people don't matter, but for some of us, whether it's a person or a thing or maybe even a temptation that we give into, if it doesn't matter and it doesn't serve you for your purpose, you need to let it go and make some changes and pray about those things. They're hindering you, so don't let them. See, God has a, he has a race marked out for all of us as Nate comes you, you understand that? Like God's got something for you. Some of you, you're living in it right now. You're in the race right now. The race don't end until you breathe your last breath here. God has it marked out. But if you're not careful and you hold on to all of these things that slow down your progress, that hinder you, you see what I'm saying? You got to deal with it. So you need to do that. The second thing that you need to do is, and, and I really think this is, important is you have to fight for what matters most okay so once I let go of what doesn't matter and I've determined what matters then here's what I have to do I have to fight for that now I could use a different word other than fight but the reason that I do so is when I think about this I'm reminded of Nehemiah in the Old Testament if you were with us for the year of the Bible series we talked about this very thing Nehemiah said something to his men one day, and I'm pretty sure there were women there too, that was so, if, if you just read it, you might miss it. But it was so powerful. God called them to build the walls. Now, Tobias and Sanballat, however, Sanballat, the enemies of God, they rose up against them. They were going to come fight them. So Nehemiah makes this statement. This is so good. He says, with one hand, I want you to work. I want you to build. That's what he was saying to his men. But then when you read the account, in their other hand, they had their swords. Because the enemy was coming to attack. Notice. Notice how Nehemiah says that you have to build and you have to fight at the same time. So many times, if we just focus on what we're working, what we're trying to acquire, and we don't realize that there's a real threat, the enemy, that's trying to take you out. Like, I don't think we give this too much credit, so I want you to hear me. If you're a child of God, you need to recognize how badly 
Satan wants to ruin your life. Like, I'm not talking about just making life a little bit difficult. I'm talking wants to take, wants to kill your marriage, wants to ruin your influence, wants to influence your children. Like, if you don't think the threat is real, look around. So if you're a child of God, you have to build, but you also have to be ready to fight. Once you determine what matters most, you then fight for what matters most. Nehemiah says in chapter 4, verse 14, don't be afraid of them. That's encouraging. Because I'll tell you right now, in the world that I'm in, I know a lot of parents that are scared for their children, for their futures, for the school systems they're in, for the material they're going to have to go through. I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying I know parents that aren't going on the side of faith for it. They're going on the other side of fear for it. So what you have to understand is Nehemiah is saying that as you're building your life and you're focusing on what matters most and the enemy's coming after you trying to attack your life, don't be afraid of it. That's a huge thing. I've never, listen, I mean this with all the love I have. It's not applied to everybody in the room, but I know Christians that are so afraid of what's coming and even what is. And I'm just like, hold on. What are you afraid of? You have God and you're afraid of this? I'm not trying to minimize it, but I'm like, wait, can we just take a pause for a moment and just say, you don't have to be afraid of anything, church. You've got God, which means you've got promises. And if God gave a promise, he will keep his word. It'll never fail. So what happens is, is what happens is Nehemiah's like, look, some of them he probably saw. I mean, why is he going to say, don't be afraid just to say it? No, he's probably looking in their eyes. And he sees that they're building, but they know Tobias and those guys are coming. And, they're, and he's like, look, knock it off. Don't be afraid. Just start to build. So he says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, and for your homes. Say, how do I fight? I'll tell you what, the very first place that you fight, the very first thing that you understand when you're in war (laughs) is you're not alone. So you've got God. Let's just start there. You've got God on your side. This is not Christianese catchphrase corniness. Read the end of the book. We win. So, so... If I know I'm going to win, can I just tell you, I fight a little bit different than the one who's guessing. I'm going to win. Listen, fight for what matters. So I've got God. I've got his word. I've got access through prayer. I have his church. I have the community of believers. Man, if I've got that, what am I worried about? Can I just... I don't know why I say this all the time. Can I just shoot straight with you? And you say yes. I'm like, okay, fine, I will. 
It just comes out. I got to work on that, okay? I'm working on it. Working on it here. I'm working on it. My boys love it when I do that, by the way. I don't know why. Listen, 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 listen. The body of believers, God's church, man, we have got God himself fighting our battles. Wow. Think of that. So what are you worried about? What are you up in arms about? Come on, what's keeping you up at night? What's consistently in your mind even as you go throughout your day? What's that thing that grips your heart and starts to bring panic? What, what grips your mind and brings doubt? What is it? You know what's crazy? You probably already know it. You walked in here with it. Don't we all? I do. I get accused a lot of being the pastor that bleeds over a lot of people. I guess that's another way for saying I, I'm too open. I don't know. But man, I've got some things that sometimes try to get inside of my head that are not of the Lord. And I've got to take those thoughts, like the scripture says, and I've got to take them captive to what? Someone's opinion? Some great quote? Some do these seven steps and life will be different? No, no, no. It says take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. That might need to be the memory verse for this week. Can anybody tell me what book it's in? What do we do, what do, we do when the pastor asks us a question like that? Do I just be quiet and wait for somebody else to get it wrong so we can say, nope, wrong? No, the ah, there you go. <laughs> I knew someone was going to get it. It's in Corinthians. Can someone tell me one or two? Two? I think it's in two. Oh, I'm going somewhere. You hear what I just said? She caught it. So you, know you think? Do you know how many verses are in the Bible, people? Sometimes one of the coolest things that we can do goes, oh, what, what book is that in? It's in Corinthians. Which one? One or two? Ah, oh, trick question. No, not. Just grab your phone. Open up Google. Type in the phrase that you know. And most likely it'll come right up. You guys aren't gullible, but I love that that went according to plan, just like that. It says to take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. So does it line up with God's word? If it doesn't, it does not have a place in your life. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with us, text CONNECT to 805-321-1357 or visit us at slow.canyonhills.com. Until next time, have a great day and be encouraged that God is with you and for you.